We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity podcast. I am your host, Peter Herder. Today, I'm actually going to finish up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know we have spent a lot of time in this chapter. I realize that, and I'm looking forward to pushing into uh, some new areas of the Bible. But before I leave... This very spectacular chapter, I want to spend uh, one more episode on the profile of the lawless one. The Apostle Paul tells us a lot about who he calls the lawless one. And so I have uh, put a little list together. Um, Because I think it's going to be important that, hey, when this lawless one shows up, we need to know what we're looking for. We need to have some idea of what he's about, what he's like, what he's trying to do. So that when he appears, we recognize him. We recognize the biblical profile. Because one thing is for sure, this man will be very deceptive. Many are going to believe him. Many are going to think he is the hope of humanity's future. And you couple that along with what I was talking about in the last episode, the delusion that God actually sends to glue the lawless ones to the lawless one, the antithesis of faith. We talked about this last episode, and I was just, you know, still kind of blown away that there would be an antithesis to faith that, you know, anchor that God provides that unifies us with the Son of God that joins us with his promise, that makes us sure and unshakable. There's an antithesis to faith. Because if folks reject the anchor, God will send something besides faith. If you reject faith in the truth, you will be left with a strong delusion. So if we know that this man, this lawless one will be fiercely popular, and we also know that most people are going to be completely deluded in believing the lies he is telling, then we can be sure our work is cut out for us. If we want to stand with Jesus we're going to be unpopular. Get used to it. But better to be popular in heaven than to be well-received in hell. Better to be recognized 
by the great company of saints that have gone before, who have stood firm in the faith and followed Jesus all the way to the end. I'd rather be recognized by that crew than by the horde of hell. The horde who rejected truth, who hated God, hated the Bible, hated the Savior. Do we really want to be accepted by that crowd? Because that crowd's not just in hell. That crowd is here on earth. And if we want to be a part of the cool crowd, the horde of hell, they will gladly receive us. Of course, surrendering to the horde is never good enough for them. Because oppression and slavery is never satisfied until the destruction is complete. It's kind of funny watching, I don't want to say funny, I guess it's more like sad and sickening, I guess. Maybe that's the right word. When we see Christian leaders being cowed by the culture, bending the knee to make the culture happy. That is a no-win situation. First of all, you can't win because if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So you you cannot win. <laughs> like this is a game that is a unwinnable game. But if you just you know, let's just say you go, hey, you know what? I'm fine with being an enemy of God. I'm I'm good with that. I just really my heart is to be a friend of this world. I don't care about what God thinks about me. Like let's just say you went that route. Total bunny trail, by the way. But if you went that route and just went all out to make this world happy, this world will never be happy with you. Never be happy with you. That's the nature of the misery of sin. The misery of sin is never satisfied. It is always moving deeper and darker and farther into the abyss. So you might be able to, you know, say a few things that maybe gets, gets the, uh, the crowd excited today. But that crowd's coming back tomorrow. And what you said today isn't going to make them happy tomorrow. You're going to have to go one step farther. Until finally, they leave you anyway and throw you in the trash. <laughs> That's how this thing works. It's a no-win situation. All that to say is I want to stand with Jesus to the end. I believe you do too. And I want to be recognized in heaven from heaven's perspective. And I have to come to terms with the fact that that's probably going to make me unpopular in this world. And I, I just have to count the cost and be okay with it. I am okay with it. Following Jesus, what I mean, what else are you gonna do? It was like 
Jesus said some very controversial things one day. He was talking to, to his disciples and talking to the crowds, and he started talking about, hey, you got to eat my you got to eat my flesh you got to drink my blood if you don't do it you're not going to have my life in you people did not like that teaching people didn't understand that teaching and and Jesus did nothing to make them feel better about how they felt about his teaching like he just said it and it said many of his disciples didn't follow him anymore after that And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you guys going to go too? Almost like, almost like an invitation. Like, you guys want to go? And Peter says, nah, nope. Where else could we go? Is there, is there, another, is there another game in town? Is there something else besides this? Answer, no. God has left us. No other choice. And Peter recognized it like, hey, you alone speak the words of life. So I'm on board with you, Jesus. You're the only game in town. We live and we die with you. And so once we settle that, then we can come to terms with, okay, so this guy's going to, this, this lawless one that Paul warns about, it's going to be very popular. He's going to be very deceptive. And he's going to have a lot of people on board with him. And it's very, very possible, yea, as the days go on, likely that the church itself will not recognize this man. At least that's certainly not in his early days. I don't see that happening at all. I don't see the church waking up to this for some time until, you know, it comes to being blindsided. I think... The way it looks like it's setting up right now is the church is going to be blindsided. A freight train is coming at an angle the church has not considered. So that's what I'm here to do today is just talk about what is in the Bible so that we can see it. Because let's face it, Paul says we are not of the night. We're not drunk. We're not asleep. We are not asleep. The, the church, the saints are not asleep. We are not drunk. We are of the light. We are sober and we are awake. That day will not overcome us like a thief. Now, Jesus also warns. He says, hey, don't let your hearts get weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness, with the cares of this world. So it is very possible for saints to act like the world. It's very possible. Jesus warned, like, don't let your hearts get weighed down. That means our hearts can get weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness. Our hearts can get weighed down with the cares of the, this world so much that we're not seeing clearly. Now, we could get blindsided if we're not awake, watching, praying, proclaiming. Not sure what uh, else is going on, you know, in, you know, um, in the world and what, what different you know, leaders are saying. Don't really care too much about what other guys are saying. I want to focus
on the Word of God. And on some passages that folks generally neglect, don't spend a whole lot of time on. But I believe, especially now that we are in the end times, these passages are critical. Critical. So that's what we're going to do today. Jump into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and uh, just kind of consider the different facets of the profile of the lawless one. I'm not expecting massive, deep revelation, you know, but who knows, maybe the Lord's got something special. I just, I just want to, you know, there's, there's a whole, so many things that Paul says about the lawless one. I just want to pull them apart and consider them one by one. Um, and just, just to create awareness in our, our minds, awareness in the church, anyone who's listening to this podcast, an awareness of what we should be looking for, what Paul tells us to be looking for. So Lord, we just give you this podcast, God, we ask you to open your word to us now and speak to us, transform us, prepare us to meet you. Help us to walk in the fullness of our calling. Help us to walk in the fullness of your word. We want to fulfill all that you have for us in our calling and in our life. And that is purely by grace. Purely by the power of your spirit. And we just welcome your spirit to minister to us through your word now, in the name of Jesus. So open up. Just go ahead and read the chapter. I've been reading it like once up every episode, so we should be pretty aware of what is in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. If you haven't been uh, tracking with us, then uh, this, will be, this will be good for, for you to hear me read it. Uh, so uh, verse 1, concerning, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, 
but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Paul says a lot of things about the man of lawlessness. First, the title that he uses is a little different than the title that we're used to. Um, you, <laughs> the title that we usually use for this guy. You, we usually default to the title, the Antichrist. Like that's the number one moniker um, title uh, of the, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, the son of perdition. He's got a number of names. It's kind of like Satan, right? You think about Satan, Satan's kind of like the main uh, name for the devil, um, but Satan's got lots of other names, right? Be-ez- Beelzebub is one we like to use. Lord of the Flies, Apollyon is one. Uh, you know, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, a number of different names. Um, I think the one most folks default to is either the devil or Satan, the accuser, accuser of the brethren. Um, So kind of like Satan, this guy, man of lawlessness, has lots of names. And those names are kind of thrown, uh, are used in the Bible in in different ways. But if you actually really look at the name or the title Antichrist, it is used only one time in the entire Bible to refer to this guy. It's used once, and it's used in the first letter of John. When John, you know, alludes to this guy, when, it, when he says, you've heard that an Antichrist will come into the world, right? That Antichrist is coming. But he says, but there are, there are many antichrists now. So this, that is the only, the one and only time that title is used to refer to this guy. So I don't, I think, I'm not sure why, why that ended up being the default title. Probably because it sounds the coolest and probably because it kind of sums it up the best when, when you just say like, hey, what are we looking for here? We're looking for the opposite of Jesus. We're looking for the guy who is the inverse of Jesus. So Antichrist makes sense. Paul doesn't use that title. He uses another title. He calls him the man of lawlessness. He also calls him the son of perdition. Or sorry, son of destruction. The son of destruction. What a title to use for this guy. He is like an offspring of destruction. He is destined for destruction. It's shocking that the Bible would refer to this guy in those, in that way, a man of lawlessness the son of destruction. Okay, so that's his, that's his title. That's the title that, that Paul gives, and we, we can kind of go from there. And what, what does that tell us about him, just his name? Well, he is about Psalm 2. If you look at Psalm 2, just turn there really quickly, because I think Psalm 2 
sums up very well this idea of lawlessness. Psalm 2, turning there now. Let's see here. Right after Job. Here we go. It's like one of the biggest books in the entire Bible. You think I'd be able to find it pretty quickly. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? The people plot in vain. The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Let us. So that's Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. David tells of a uh, great rebellion in Psalm 2. He tells of a time when the leaders of the earth, the kings of the earth, set themselves against the Lord. And what are they trying to do when they set themselves against the Lord? They're trying to break free from the bonds of God. They want to be free from God. What they don't understand is their quest for freedom is really, at the end of the day, bondage, slavery. It's almost like the Lord of the Rings is so magnificently woven together. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote of Sauron, who created rings and these rings of power that would give people what they really wanted. Not just people, but, you know, elves and and um, dwarves, and I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I don't, he didn't give, I don't think he made one for the hobbits, did he? No, hobbits don't care. They're like, hey, we just want to eat turnips in the garden, man. We don't care about getting what we want. Um, but the, the, the kingdoms of men and the kingdoms of dwarves and, and elves, Sauron made these rings of power. And with that uh, promise to give them what they want, what he was doing was luring them under his power. So they may have been thinking that they were getting what they wanted, but what they were really getting was coming under Sauron's thumb. So this Psalm 2 rage of the nations, why do the nations rage? Why do they, why, why do they set themselves against the Lord and his anointed why do they want to break the bonds of God and, and, and free themselves from the Almighty? It's because they're being lured by Sauron. Sauron has promised Sauron as a, you know, I'm using him as an alias for the devil, Apollyon, and add Sauron to the list of names for the devil, Satan. Luring the king's with the promise to give them exactly everything they want. And I'm just thinking about this for a second. This isn't, you know, this is another bunny trail. What is it that is in our hands that operates like a ring of power that promises everything we want? 
I mean, it's not in the fullness yet, obviously. We're still kind of in the early days. But what is trending in that direction? I dare say it is the devices we carry around. It's funny we call them devices. And what do these devices do? Oh, we get to click on anything we want. We get to read whatever we agree with. We get to view Hear, imagine, all with a swipe of a finger, our desires, everything we want. Of course, it's small. It's small right now. It's not in the fullness of where it's going to be in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years when virtual reality is pretty much very much like reality, so close to actual reality that you cannot tell the difference between virtual reality and actual reality. Right now we can tell. Right now we can still tell the difference between the virtual and the real. But as technology continues to advance, that gap will shrink and everything we can imagine will become possible to us. It's like I said, sidetrack. Back to my point. The devil luring the kings of the earth with the promise of giving them whatever they want. What is it that they want? What is it that they think they want? They think they want to be free. They want lawlessness. They desire lawlessness. And so when Paul says, hey, this is the man of lawlessness, this is the poster boy, the corporate head of lawlessness, in our minds, we should be thinking about Psalm 2, the guy who's going to break humanity free from the creator. He is the pilot, the captain of Psalm 2, the rage of the nations, this man of lawlessness breaking free from the creator. Setting humanity free in lawlessness. But is it really freedom? No. It's not freedom. It's just Sauron luring humanity away. So that Sauron can make the elves and kings and uh, dwarves happy? Do you think Sauron's great plan is to make them happy? No, no. Remember what Soren says? He says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to bring them in the dark. I'm going to bind them. That's his thing. He's a sadist. Sadist. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. He wants to bind that's what he's about. I know on the front end, he's going to tell you, he's going to give you lots of great stuff and just follow me, follow my campaign to free us from God. But when that's all over and the cell door locks and it's just you and him, he's not there to make you happy. I promise you that. No, no, no. Jesus wants you to be free forever. Jesus wants you to be with him forever. 
Jesus has made a way for you to be in heaven with him forever. All you have to do is turn from darkness, repent of your sin, and believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in him with all of your heart. He will save you. Period. So, wow. Okay, that was my first point about the profile of the lawless one, the man of lawlessness. If I take that long on each of these points, we're going to be here a very long time. So I am going to try to speed this up a little bit because I don't want this to be a six-episode series on the profile of the the man of lawlessness. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of keep moving. So, and uh, actually on some of these other points, we've spent a considerable amount of time, like the second point. Um, Paul says he takes his seat in the temple of God. The lawless, the man of lawlessness takes his seat in the temple of God. Now I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. If you want the full treatment, which isn't actually even the full treatment, it's like the beginning of the treatment. Uh, this requires a deep dive that I think I'm going to have to revisit in, a, in another episode at some point. So I've, I, you know, uh, so if you've got questions, please put them forward. I want to come back and address them. But all that being said, the temple that the man of lawlessness, where he takes his seat, it says that the man of lawlessness takes his seat, his seat. Not God's seat. No, 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 no. He, <laughs> you think God, God's like, ah, do you think I'm going to let the man of lawlessness take my seat? No, this is not my seat. He can bring in his folding chair and pretend, but nobody's sitting on God's seat. I mean, God's sitting on God's seat. That's it. That's it. He doesn't share it. So it says the man of lawlessness takes his seat. In the temple of God. What's that temple? Not a building in Jerusalem. No, we already already did that. Um, No need to do that again. Satan's not interested in that. I don't believe God is interested in that. Um, What God is interested in and what Satan is interested in is not a building in Jerusalem so much as the temple that is the human frame When I say frame, I mean body, soul, mind, the entirety of the human frame. That is the temple of God. That is the place where God wants to dwell. And that is the place that bears the image of God. And because it bears the image of God, it is at least at some level, wholly separated, designed for God to dwell in. Every human being is a temple designed and created by God for his dwelling place in the earth. Every human being is. I don't care I don't care what they've done. I don't care how many times they've done it. Their body, their mind, their spirit, soul is a temple for God to dwell in. Most people never experience that. Most people reject God and their temple is 
not filled with the Spirit of God. Now, if you look back at the temple in Jerusalem around the time of AD 70, when the Romans came and sieged the city, broke the walls, destroyed, raised the temple, went in, desecrated it. That temple at that point in time was already declared desolate by Jesus. When Jesus was there 40 years prior, he said, I leave to you your house desolate. So even though the temple went on for another 40 years, God's presence was not there. He was not, he wasn't there. He was doing other things. He was, he was building his church. He was dwelling in humans by his spirit. God had given up on that temple. God was not there. So when Jesus said, when you see the Jerusalem sieged about in Luke 21, he also says, when you see the abomination of desolation, he says, get out of Judea, get out of here. What happened in AD 70 was an abomination of desolation. It was, it was the end of the temple. Now that temple was not being used by God. So fast forward 2,000 years as we approach the year 2070, we are faced with a far greater abomination of desolation, not one that happens in a temple, but one that happens inside of a human frame. Now, how does that, how would the man of lawlessness get inside of a human frame? As it turns out, it looks like it's actually uh, connected with the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast isn't like a tattoo of a, a UPC symbol that you get on your hand. No, no, it's not going to be. It's not going to. It's not going to be something like that. It is going to be the thing that connects human beings to the dragon. The mark of the beast is the doorway into the human temple. It's like it's like hacking a door inside. So the technology that is implanted in a brain that you walk around with as a mark upon you that says you are no longer gods, you belong to the dragon, another word for Satan, another name for, for the devil, the dragon, the mark of the beast. It will be through that technology that the Antichrist will project himself inside of the human temple and proclaim himself to be God. Which brings us to the third point. He proclaims himself to be God. You know, and I, I failed to mention one other thing that he opposes and exalts himself against any so-called God. The Antichrist, according to Paul and according to Daniel, is an atheist. He 
Let's let's just go let's just go to Daniel chapter eleven really quick, verse thirty-five, I believe. Daniel eleven verse thirty-five gives us some insight into the profile. I think I spent some time on this in a previous episode in the in the, in the first season. But this is important. Verse 36, the king will do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He will speak astonishing things against the god of gods. Now, this is Daniel. So we know Daniel's prophecy is influencing Paul big time. Paul says the exact same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says the man of lawlessness opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. The very same language, the very same wording, Paul is building upon the prophecy of Daniel here. So back to the prophecy of Daniel. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed? shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god. He shall magnify himself above all. That is the prophecy of Daniel, saying the very same thing that Paul is saying, that this, the profile of the man of lawlessness, is that he does not worship any other God, not the gods of his fathers, not the gods that women adore. No gods. Zero. Now, for us today, that's actually pretty common, right? But back in Paul's day, you know, and especially back in Daniel's day, it was unheard of that you, would, you just didn't worship any gods, like, wh- who is this guy who doesn't worship any God? Everybody, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, the people of Israel worship the one God, you know, but to worship zero gods, none? Like, who does that? Well, today we have a word for it. You know, back then you were just crazy. But the word we use for it now is called an atheist. You're an atheist if you don't believe in any other gods. So we know the profile of the Antichrist is he's an atheist. And if if anything is his religion, his religion is himself. He believes in himself. He believes in the vision that he has. And Daniel says he will prosper until the indignation is accomplished. It says he will do whatever he wants. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm probably bar- borrowing a little bit too much from the prophet Daniel right now. I want to stay focused on 2 Thessalonians 2, where uh, Paul's teaching. But here is, that's the profile of the lawless one, an atheist who does whatever he wants and who prospers until the indignation is accomplished. It's a curious thing to say the lawless one who's, you know, I guess it actually makes total sense. The lawless one does whatever he wants. He does not bow to the will of any God. He doesn't bow 
I mean, in the, in the larger sense, sovereign sense, he does bow to God's will. But in the real day-to-day practical sense, he gives no thought to God. He gives no thought to the Almighty. He's like Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, I built this kingdom. I can't believe how awesome I am. And God's like, oh, yeah? I got a few things to sh- teach you in the back 80 while you're chewing grass like cud, right? I mean, so uh, God has different ideas. But in the spirit of Nebuchadnezzar, here is the lawless one pursuing lawlessness with all of his might, not bowing to the will of any God. He doesn't like, you know, back in the, back in the day, you know, you kind of had to appease the gods. You had to ask them what they wanted you to do. And you had to sacrifice little things to, to them to make sure they're happy. The Antichrist is not, no, sorry, the man of lawlessness isn't interested in any of that. He's not bowing to anybody's will, but his own. His will is supreme. He does whatever he wills. So he takes his seat in the temple. He proclaims himself to be God. So eventually the time comes. Uh, you know, it doesn't say when, how this happens. Um, it just says that it does. Paul says it will happen. This atheist that doesn't bow to any other God believes is deluded enough to believe that he is God. And he's going to tell everybody, he's going to hack into the human frame, believing he is humanity's God. Fallen humanity will welcome him in and he will desecrate the image of God in every human being that allows him in and worships him as their God. I think I'm going to have to do this in a couple of parts. I don't think I can do this whole thing right now. I mean, yeah, it's getting, it's already getting long. I'm trying to get these, I'm trying to keep these things short. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead. I'm just going to review the couple of things the, that we, we covered today. We, we covered the title, the man of lawlessness, what he's about, the Psalm to rage against God, to be free, to break free from the Lord, but really in the service of Satan, really bringing humanity under Satan's power. He's the one who opposes and exalts himself against any and every so-called object of worship. He doesn't bow to anything. He does what he wills. And I make this point specifically also. So one of the ideas that are, that's floating around out there, and I want to make sure that I'm addressing this clearly, one of the ideas is that, hey, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, whatever you want to call him, He's a demonized man. But I doubt that. Seriously doubt that. How does a demonized man do what he wills? A demonized man does whatever the demon inside of him wills. So if you were talking about, let's say we were talking about the demoniac of Gadara. 
the guy who is out, nobody can control him. It doesn't matter how many chains they wrap him with. It doesn't matter how big the rock they chain him to. He's constantly breaking free, constantly cutting himself, howling in the middle of the night. Are you, so we're talking, we're talking, you know, we'll call him Gary. So Gary, and we're neighbors with Gary, right? Me and you, we have a house. Gary lives in between us, and yeah, we're out mowing the lawn. I see you out there. I'm like, hey, bro, did you hear Gary last night? And you come to me like, yeah, I know. It's, I feel so bad for that guy, man. He's just howling in the middle of the night. <sighs> you know, I don't even know how he got free from all those chains we chained him up with last time. I'm like, I know, man. I wish he would stop wanting. I wish he would stop doing what he wanted to do all the time. Right? I like the dude just does whatever he wants all the time. He's doing it just, he does, he wakes up like, man, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to roll around in the dirt. I'm going to, I'm going to strip myself naked and roll around in the dirt for four hours. I mean, dude, I wish he would just stop wanting to do that stuff. You might be like, hey, dude, we, Gary, what? He does not want to do any of this stuff. If, if Jesus could come along and set him free, you know how happy Gary would be to be able to do what he actually wants to do with his life? You think he wants to be in chains? Do you think he wants to be howling in the middle of the night? Do you think he wants to thrash around on the ground and froth from the mouth for six hours straight? He doesn't want to do any of that stuff. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about, man? You're like, those are demons in him. The demons want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. The demons do. And I'd be like, you know what? You're right. Gary's not doing what he wants to do. Gary's doing what the demons want to do. And that's the argument I would make for those who believe that the Antichrist will be demonized. You cannot say the Antichrist is going to be demonized and say he will do what he wants to do. The reality is that the man of lawlessness is entirely free. He's the ultimate fallen human, the corporate head of lawless humanity doing whatever he wants. He's not bowing down to any God. He's not listening to Almighty God, that's for sure. But he's not bowing to any demons either. No demon is telling him what to do. He is freely choosing. And actually, that's an important point to realize Fallen humans aren't doing this because demons are making them do it. They're doing it because they are freely choosing to do it, which makes it all the darker and makes the uh, bind between man and demons all the stronger. What binds man to demons in this quest for lawlessness is only made stronger when humans are freely choosing it. So the Antichrist isn't demonized. No, 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 no. 
no. He's coming in in the activity of Satan, no question about it. And we'll address that maybe in the next episode. But the reality is that he's free. And he's freely choosing. And it just so happens that what he freely chooses is what Satan also freely chooses. It's what they really, really, really want. And lawless humanity also chooses it. It's a big symphony of choice. And they choose Psalm 2 lawlessness. So we know that this man of lawlessness, son of destruction, who a Paul, uh, atheist, not demonized, will exalt himself against every object of worship and one day present himself, project himself inside of the human frame and declare himself humanity's God. So I think I'm going to leave it there for today. Um, hopefully there's some, some insights there um, that, you know, might shed some new light on some of these, these subjects. Um, my goal is for us to come to terms in the fullness of the word of God, take it for all it's worth, and let God's word have its way in our life. I want to stir you up to seek the Lord, to do his will, to fulfill the fullness of his calling, to abound in faith and love, to keep watching, praying, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.